Today is September 3rd, 2020, and this is Sam Walking in the World, episode 20. So, guten tag to my German listener. Top of the morning to you, to my Irish listener. Hello to all. Um, today, I am going to talk about a number of things. Um, I got a little bit amped up about bureaucracy lately, and that is the larger thing that I'm going to talk about for a while, actually, so... I'm going to try to make the rest of this stuff fairly quick. Um, I'm going to talk in stupid stuff. I'm going to talk about uh, another sign that I know I'm getting old. There seem to be more and more every day. Uh, I have a then and now for you. Uh, I have some lifey stuff about uh, how people form their political opinions, which seems to be a phenomenon I've noticed. Um, and I have a happiness hint I'm going to talk about. Keeping secrets. Is it even possible to keep a secret? But someone told me a secret and then asked me to keep the secret. And uh, it got me thinking. And then in language things, I'm going to talk about uh, a few words that sound the same but have different meanings. In this case, they have opposite meanings. Which makes them homophones and antonyms. And in this weird case, I just happen to be thinking how it might... Uh, might create a problem in the world if someone were to use them and not be understood correctly. So, with that, I will get right to it. Um, okay, stupid stuff. Um, here's how I know I'm getting older. I can injure myself sleeping. Like I have this shoulder rotator cuff pain that hurts when I would kind of extend my arm up like as though I were to be washing my hair in the shower. And I know it's not related to swimming because it doesn't even hurt when I swim. It hurts when I do certain motions that don't seem to be any motion that I've ever really done in a way that would have hurt it. And I discover that it hurts most in the morning when I wake up, which indicates that it's probably something about the way that I'm sleeping. I think I like to keep my right arm kind of up behind my head sometimes when I sleep or just up in the air kind of against the pillow. Maybe it opens my lungs up more on that side. I'm not exactly sure why. But I know that when I wake up, whatever position I've kept my arm in ends up hurting my shoulder. Sleeping hurt my shoulder. It, that was unheard of 10 years ago. Or if, if something happened while I was sleeping, it, was, it would go away in like about two minutes. Now I have to worry about how I sleep. The action that really is absolutely no action. In fact, it's the opposite of all action, sleeping. And I can get injured doing it now. I have to start wearing a helmet. I thought, that is pretty sad. Which I guess I understand now why so many people die in their sleep. Much more dangerous activity than I thought. But if you're out there and you have to concern yourself with how you sleep so that you might not get injured, I'm with you. Moving on. Uh, first of all, then and now. Now I noticed uh, as, as fall is coming and weather is um, getting a little bit cooler and there's more of an opportunity to wear pants and sweatpants and jeans, um, I noticed that as a short person, and those of you who are short people can relate to this, unless you're like rail thin and you can wear clothes from like the young children's section because your waist is so thin compared to your height. Well, mine isn't. 
My waist is probably, I mean, I've lost a ton of weight, but my waist is probably still up 36. And uh, pants are inevitably too long. And it used to really be an issue in my life. Am I going to roll them? Am I going to have my mother hem them with that weird hem that never looks like the original bottom of pants? Um, maybe because it's too wide at the bottom because of how far they have to be rolled up. I don't know. You can just tell when someone's pants have been hemmed. Unless they've been like done by a professional tailor and who's got time or money for that. But anyway, my point is, uh, now I don't care if my pants are drag in the back. In a way, they kind of take care of themselves. Like... They will fray and rip and tear enough till they get to the point where they're not hanging on the ground anymore. And then I guess they will fit me better. They, they look all frayed and kind of torn up, but I don't care, I guess is what I'm saying. Then I would care. Now, I don't care. In fact, I envy people who I see with jeans that are all frayed in the back. I'm like, wow, that dude doesn't care. I wish I could be someone who doesn't care. And now I am. Um, okay, I'm going to take a quick break before I get to lifey stuff. Um, actually, you know what? Before I do that, I will talk about language things. Um, here are the homophones but antonyms that I was talking about. Um, the words raise and raise. Right? If you're going to raise a building, what does it mean? Does it mean you're going to Tear it down with bulldozers and fl completely flatten it like it was never there? Or are you going to take a piece of land where there is nothing there and erect a building? Are you going to raise it? Or are you going to raise it? And I thought of how uh, troublesome it might be for somebody reading it. Well, not reading it if they know the difference between the words, but if they were to hear it. And, and they'd be told, like, over a, a walkie-talkie, all right, I want you to go down there and help raise that building. And, and maybe you get there first with your bulldozer, not realizing you're just there to move bricks around so they can erect the building and you just destroy everything that's there because you were told to raise it. One is spelled R-A-Z, I believe. And the other one, maybe R-A-I-Z-E. I should look that up. And the other is R-A-I-S-E, the common one that everyone knows to raise, like raise your hand. People say raise your hand. They don't mean completely cut your hand off. And so that is a funny language thing I thought of. You might not think it's as funny, but to each his own. With that, I will take a break. I will get back to happiness hints when I talk about secrets, and I will get back to lifey stuff where I talk about how people sometimes form their political views and how it amuses me, and I guess sometimes frustrates me. So with that, I will be back after these quick messages. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World. Great job, as always, by my boy, Milky. Uh, someone asked me the other day if I can keep a secret. They wanted to tell me a secret. And they were asking me if I could keep a secret. And my first reaction is always to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I guess I want to know the secret. But then I think, no, I probably can't. And then I think to myself, but apparently neither can you. Because you're about to tell me it. Aren't you about to tell me a secret? Who are you to ask me whether or not I can keep a secret when you're giving me one? 
So if I share it, you're really asking for it. All I did is what you did. You want the pleasure of getting to not keep a secret, but then hold me accountable for whether or not I can do that? Technically, it's no longer a secret as soon as the original owner of it gave it away. If you think about it, unless it was like something that was witnessed, I saw someone do something, well, then I guess I own that secret, but so does everyone else who saw it and the guy who did it. So that by nature is not a secret. It's done out in the open. But actual secrets, by definition, for a thing to be a secret, it must never be told. Not even once. If you follow me. So, I honestly don't know. But I know this. It does make me happier when someone does tell me a secret and I cut off, like I tie up the loose end of the secret chain. I guess in my old life, before when I was unhappy, because I was so interested in making myself feel better, I compared myself in odd ways to other people. And that was like the source of my feeling better. So if I had a secret about someone that was, you know, cast them in a negative light, according to some criteria that I've arbitrarily decided makes one person better than another, then I could find somebody who would agree to that criteria, share the secret, and then together they and I could know that I'm better, and maybe they're better than the person about whom the secret was told. I don't really feel that need anymore. In fact, I almost sympathize with people who are unhappy or or have done something embarrassing. And I try to be an active part of not disseminating it. Um, and I don't go around and tell everyone that I didn't tell it because that's the same as telling it. But if there were more people like that out there, there would be a lot less humiliation. And for some reason... Some people thrive on the humiliation of others. I know I did, so I can completely relate to it. But next time you are told a secret, try to be the one who cuts it off. The one after whom it does not pass. And see how long you can do it for. I have a feeling you're going to like the feeling. Okay, that was my happiness hint. Now, um, this in lifey things, this is a definitely a phenomenon that I have noticed. First, let me say this about news as it relates to politics. I feel like, like I've said in previous episodes, it's so difficult to tell what the actual cause and effect is of events. Like I said, you know, um, incoming presidents take take credit for the previous previously good economy. Or if it's bad, they blame the previous administration for the economy they inherited. Or, and there's no real way to pinpoint exactly who caused what. Because other people have different opinions of it. And it's just this kind of amorphous thing. And But I, I definitely noticed this. And this is a tendency I think all people have. I know I've had it. And that is where you draw your conclusion that you need to have first. And then you find evidence that fits it. Rather than objectively collecting evidence that's there and then trying to make sense of it so that you can form uh, an opinion about it or at least an idea of what happened versus a narrative 
where here's the narrative that I'm going to propel, and I'm going to completely ignore things that um, are counter to it, and I'm going to accentuate all the things that support it. Because it, upon review, your opinion ends up a lot less credible because someone in conversation might ask you a question, well, what about this? And then you got to scramble and call the person that they're voting for a bad person. It just devolves. So I noticed it's, it's another one of the reasons why I just feel like sometimes political conversation is way overrated. You can't even find common ground to start on, much less end on. So, and then here's another phenomenon I've noticed. Um, there are people who love to claim that they're independents or they're moderates, as though somehow it places them above people who are partisans, people who take a side. I've seen these people, they're in my regular life, very good friends, relatives, who, who try to suggest that in each specifically presidential election, because it's so far distant from our individual lives, it's almost like they're rooting for a football team. They will claim that in every single presidential election, they make an individual case-by-case -case choice based on who they think is the best person for the job. Like, like it has nothing to do with their party or their ideology or their politics. It's about which person do they really feel like that's the best person to be president. And I, I myself am a partisan. In, in many cases, I have a, a certain belief system, and I think those beliefs are either advanced or frustrated by a candidate of a certain ideology, whether it's something about higher, higher low taxes should be, or whether or not there should be uh, gun rights, or um, you know, pro-life, pro-choice, all that stuff. I'm not divulging any of my specific opinions, but... I have them, and I tend to vote in a certain way because I, I believe that the person of that like-minded philosophy will, will affect policies that affect my life in a way that's more to my preference. But there are people, I think, who, for whom politics is so far removed from their daily life. Like, they live the way they live, and there's a, a rhyme and reason to it, and, they, and it makes sense, and it's um, functional and effective. But it's completely detached from, in many cases, from the person that they're voting for. And so they watch the news just pretty much around election season. For the, for the other three and a half years of the presidential term, they don't really pay that much attention to news. And then they start paying attention. And they like to claim that they are choosing based on the individual case of the person. And, and a great litmus test for that is this. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with voting for the same party every time if that aligns with your views. But someone will say, oh, no, I, I, I think this person's better than that person. And, and they'll, they'll kind of attempt to rise above the whole political part of it. And they kind of view that with like some sort of disdain. They are making a pure choice, an individual, case-by-case -case choice. And so I often ask these people, if they are if they are suggesting that they're going to vote say for the Democrat in the upcoming election, I'll say, I'll ask them, um, may I ask when was the last time you 
voted in a presidential election for the opposite party's candidate. You're voting Democrat this time, but it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with the fact that it's this person that you think is better. The other one lies too much. Or the other one's not a good family man. Or the other one is corrupt. Um, when was the last time you voted for the other party in a presidential election? The answer is usually at least 30 years ago. Before they were kind of the current person that they are. So, like, in as far as recent memory goes back, I bet most people have voted for the same political party. Now it happens from time to time, maybe two or three elections ago, someone voted for the other party and they've had a change of heart. But very rarely, I would say, does a person vote for a Republican for president, then a Democrat for president, then a Republican for president, then a Democrat for president, based on individual choices. And if they were making individual choices, you'd think there would be a lot more commingling of, of parties for whom they voted. But it tends to not be that way. And I always want to ask the question, if you're making a case-by-case decision, why does it appear that you always vote for the same party? And the answer, I think, is because it's the news they watch. Their idea of what is, and I talked in an earlier episode about how people just pick the whole spectrum up and make it look like so their, their opinion is in the middle. And news outlets do that. News outlets on the right make themselves appear as though they are in the middle. When they're not extreme on one side or the other. They're just it's this temperate middle. And, and news outlets on the left, which are the vast majority, make themselves appear like they're in the center. So that kind of reality ends up uh, permeating people that are watching the news. And most people that just say they vote by common sense, they're voting on the common sense as it is defined by whatever their news outlet is. That's why I, I always like to try and find out what the event was itself. Was it a speech? Was it an event that was on video? Um, how primary a source can I get so I have an idea first what it was that happened? And then under what context and how do I feel about it? Because the further away you get from the primary source, the more spin you get. And I think that's just the nature of the beast. And we end up gravitating toward the news that we think matches what we think of as reality. It's not like we're being necessarily fed it. In some ways, we do already believe in this philosophy or this worldview. And so we're more inclined to accept one as the true reality. But what both sides definitely have in common is the starting event. Whatever the news story is, there is a starting event. And if you, I find sometimes when you dig, there is no starting event. It started with opinion about something or just a, a, a opinion in general, not even about something. And so in those cases, I try to just ignore what everybody says because they're, really, they're not really talking about anything. Or they don't know what they're talking about because they can't tell you what it is. They're just talking about a person that they think you should vote for. So... I guess, ask yourself, if you're one of those people that thinks that you vote case by case, rising above all this partisanship, ask yourself when the last time is that you voted for the other party. And that is my lifey stuff. Um, moving forward, I will talk about bureaucracy, which has been weighing on my mind. So I'm going to talk for a while about it. So buckle up. And I'll be back right after these quick messages. Yes, yes, that message was brought to you by an Apple IIe computer keystroke. 
Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 20. A bit of a milestone. Um, I want to get to larger things now, and I want to talk about bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is the bane of our existence. Um, I personally don't have a great deal of bureaucracy to deal with myself, but um, my wife, who still teaches in the... Uh, unnamed school district that uh, is government run that I used to work in uh, is about ready to go back to school and she's going through that period of time where you go back to school without the students so it's just the adults and the administrators notice I separated those two categories um, and they have to discuss all of the things that they're going to do differently because the stuff that they did last year obviously didn't work because of uh, this the data on student performance. And I, I discussed all of that in, in, a, in a different episode. I'll probably get back to it again eventually. But um, they, they always have to reinvent new ways of doing things because evidently the higher-ups in the even larger bureaucracy aren't happy with the results. Um, and so they have to invent a whole bunch of new things that will make the difference this time. Uh, even though for the past, <clears throat> every year for the past 25 years, the looking back, the old way didn't work. So they need a new way. <clears throat> and I always get amazed at the fact that you know it's disingenuous. Like you know that it's a lie that they really believe that the new way is going to work. And this is an example of bureaucracy self-perpetuating. I'll get more to that in a minute. But I wonder why they never look back at the people who implemented last year's policies and fire them. Or, or last year, why they didn't look to the previous year's policies that obviously didn't work and fire them. It's almost just like it just goes without saying. It's, it's like it's, it's forgotten. We move on to the next thing, and, and this will radically change everything. Except it doesn't, and I think they know it's not going to, because I think once you become part of the bureaucracy, it's like the Borg from the old Star Trek show, where you become part of the collective, and your job is just to perpetuate the collective. Okay, I went a little bit too far down a branch on that, but um, I will get back to it. Let me start back from the beginning, because it frustrates me to watch... Right now, it's to watch other people be frustrated by bureaucracy. I myself am free from it, thank goodness, because I teach in an unnamed small Catholic school district now, which, because of its size, I believe, and because of its separation from government, allows it to be better in just about every, every way. It allows for the people that are actually doing the job on the ground to do their job. It actually supports the people on the job doing their job because it doesn't have the equal or even larger responsibility of of continuing to perpetuate its own bureaucracy <clears throat> so let me get back to the beginning on this bureaucracy the, sh the, the root of bureaucracy is a bureau a bureau is basically just a group of people put in charge of something a federal bureau of investigation is in charge of, in, of, of investigations. Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms is in charge of, of dealing with 
alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. But it's essentially, it's just a group of people. So a bureaucrat is a person who works in a bureaucracy. Now, there might be some um, underlying purpose to the bureaucracy. I mean, there probably is. Like, uh, If you work as a mid-level administrator in a bureaucracy, your job is to write things on pieces of paper, uh, send and receive messages, and check to make sure policies are being implemented as prescribed. That could literally be a rubber stamp for anything. It could be a sneaker company. It could be um, a, a movie studio. It could be a, a school district. Okay? But I think the further up the chain in the bureaucracy you get, and the larger the bureaucracy becomes, the less in contact it is with that specific purpose. So, I jotted a few things down here just because my mind was running at 100 miles an hour. And this, essentially, I guess this is the case. Bureaucracy is a necessary evil in some cases. Right? There needs to be some, some department that makes sure that all the other departments are doing what they're supposed to do. You need organization. Right? Everyone um, can't be using their own email server because then message was messages would be missed so everyone kind of needs to use the same company email that's one example of a necessary purpose for bureaucracy but invariably the larger a bureaucracy gets the worse it gets in 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 what ways well first let me say on paper if you were to look at a flow chart a bureaucracy looks like a wonderful thing it looks like it's going to keep everything under control and everything is going to run the way it should Communism is exactly the same in that way. If you were to look at it on paper, it would look like a wonderful idea until you see it in action. And then, much like bureaucracy, it ends up perpetuating itself with the original purpose of it as a distant, distant memory. Okay, so let me make an analogy first. Um, let's say painting. Okay, if, if I myself as an individual wanted to paint something, around the house or art or whatever it is, I would I would usually try to find the most precise tool necessary, the most um, individualized sort of decision-making in order to find just a brush with just the right length, just the right width, um, the kind of paint that would work best for the surface that I'm using um, because I'm, I'm using one particular surface. But... If you were to take that task and multiply it the way a bureaucracy ends up multiplying a task to consider a much greater number of people painting, um, I guess you would call them shortcuts. The bureaucracy would probably call them efficiencies, but they are not efficiencies. But it's a way of covering more things with fewer decisions. So first you might the bureaucracy might decide that the brush needs to be bigger because we have so many other things to paint. If we continue using this small brush, then it's going to take forever, and, and time is a, a constraint, so we have to make sure that we choose the, the larger brush that we can possibly use. And so then, why not choose an even larger brush, an even broader brush? And I think that's where that uh, expression comes from. Is it you paint with a broad brush because it's out of convenience. You can cover a lot more 
surface area with your paint if you use a broad brush. Now, invariably, things are left out, right? The amount of individual decision-making and, and you know, difference accommodating goes away in, in the name of efficiency. And then you think, okay, well, you know what? Most of this is flat anyway, so why don't we just use a roller? We use one of those little hand rollers. Boy, you know what? Since we already are talking about rollers, why don't we use one of those big rollers at the end of a pole? We could just, we could just, we could knock out 50,000 of these, where normally we would only be able to do 50. And then eventually it gets to this point where, where someone just goes, you know what? Why don't we just pick, pick, take the whole operation, pick it up, and dip it in a giant vat of paint? Well, that, that'll mean that it can only be one color. Well, then it can only be one color. Well, what if that kind of paint isn't good for everyone? Well, it'll have to do. And therein is the evil of bureaucracy. Now, in some cases, I understand that moving in that direction is necessary. But we must always, always consider what is sacrificed at each, at each phase of that modification. So... Here are some things I've personally noticed, and I, and I feel so bad for my wife because she's dealing with them right now. If my wife could, she would simply have a group of students in front of her, and she would teach them the stuff that they're supposed to know. She's been doing it long enough to know what all that stuff is. Probably, probably by heart, she knows it. And the methods that she's learned and have been time-tested for different kinds of students would probably serve her well, so she would know pretty much exactly how to handle each situation. But she can't do that because she is a cog. She's a tiny nut and bolt in this giant machine. Not only is it an enormous bureaucracy, like I said, it is a, a city school district that will remain unnamed. Um, but it is also attached to the government. And, and usually, like people say, follow the money. From money comes authority. And so you cannot do it your own way. You have to do it the way the bureaucracy tells you to do it because the bureaucracy is where the money comes from. And in this case, that money comes from a government, which is the most inefficient kind of bureaucracy. Although I got to say at this point, people always use the DMV as an example. I don't mind the DMV. I feel like, you know what? You know you're going to be there for at least an hour. Bring a book or you got your phone. And I, I just, I, people treat it like this awful wasteland. And to me, it's not. I actually like the DMV, so go DMV. But in just about every other case, one of the ways that bureaucracy hurts the the not only the experience, but also the product is in responsiveness. Bureaucracy inevitably creates redundancy. Like, in the situation I'm in, we'll call it non-government small organization. If I have a problem with my laptop or some software, I can go to the person in the building who is in charge of that, and I can say, look, here's the problem that I'm having specifically on this specific device. And the person may say, okay, just leave it with me for a couple hours or leave it with me for the day and make do, and then I'll fix your individual problem. And it gets fixed. The larger the institution, the larger the bureaucracy, the more likely you are to hear that you need to put in a help desk ticket. Oh, oh well, you know what? You got to put in a help desk ticket. 
and then they'll come in in order and I'll, I'll deal with them as they, as they come in. And eventually I will get to yours, but I can't really say when. And that feeling is so off-putting that it's so almost like, I want to say de-individualizing, but I guess in a way kind of dehumanizing. Because for one thing, the person in charge of that no longer has to think of me as a person. I immediately become a number on a list. And I'm sure they're overwhelmed. And so so I, I don't feel any kind of connection where that person is considering my feelings, my problem, my need. I am just another help desk ticket. And then I get this one all the time too. I, at least I used to get it all the time. You can literally go right up to the person whose job it is to correct the problem and tell them the problem in, in you know, specific terms, articulately so they understand it. And they will, they will say to you, uh, okay, just uh, put it in writing. Put it in writing. I'm, 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 I, you might not have noticed it. I know you're busy, but I'm standing in front of you right now, and I'm speaking it to you. I almost want to be like, okay, hold on one second, and then pull out a little notepad and write it down on a piece of notepad paper, rip it off really fast, and hand it to them. But I, I know they would go, no, 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 no. you got to fill the form out. Where are the forms? Uh, they're on the website. If you just go to the website and print out the form, then you can fill that form out, scan it, email it to yourself, and then email it back to me through corporate email. You know what? Never mind. I just won't use my laptop anymore. And I almost think that's part of their purpose. I don't want to deal with this right now if I ever have to deal with it. So I'm going to tell this person to jump through a loop, a hoop. That's going to make them jump through another hoop and another hoop until they just decide it's not worth it for them to do. And it kills the inefficiency. But the worst part is, is it, it's dehumanizing. It kills the individual human aspect of, of that part of your job. Um, and, and the larger bureaucracies get, the less, the less, uh, let me say, personal, I guess, right? An institution, a, a bureaucracy, as much as they like to claim that they do, a bureaucracy doesn't have a face. It's almost like a crowd of faces. And the crowd of faces can all argue with each other about whose job it is to do the thing that's being asked, passing the buck, essentially. So you have this, now this added task of pinpointing whose job it is in the bureaucracy to do this thing that you need done. Probably any one of 10 people can do it, but they're all going to claim that it's not in their job description. And if you want to know what's in the job description, you can just go to the website, highlight it, print it out on your own document, um, scan it, put it into an email, and then uh, email it back through the... By then, you've already put the bullet in the gun and cocked it. And the other thing is it, a bureaucracy, not only does it not have a face, it really, in a sense, doesn't have a soul. A soul, a morality. Uh, I care about other people. I care about what's right. And, and you can it allows people to default back to what is their job. And, they, and everyone, without fail, in a bureaucracy tries to minimize what their job is. Because they're so far detached from the actual work being done on the ground. If it's administration in a school district, they're so far removed from teaching. That's why they call themselves educators. It's the closest word they can get to the actual work being done on the ground, which is teaching. Um, 
but they want some they want to maintain some remnant of it and so that's why a bureaucracy will say i'm in the such and such i'm in the cereal industry oh do you make cereal no 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 i make forms that um, get sent out and then i receive the forms and i translate the forms into a code and i use that code to show higher level bureaucrats what the data is showing regarding the codes as it relates to the cereal being produced on the ground it's just and and it's like i remember helping my son with a, a paper um on kafka and it, it, it kafka spoke about this very same thing it can drive you insane trying to deal with large bureaucracies where you eventually in, in a lot of Kafka's books, the main character eventually loses his mind. And it, it, it actually plays out in real life. Um, and uh, uh, bureaucracies have, have more than one mouth. Right? That's another one of the essential elements of being depersonalized. People have one mouth. You can go up to a person and say, no, you said this. And they can be like, oh, well, they can either lie or they can be like, yeah, I did say that. Um, you know what? You're right. I'll get to that. <clears throat> but a bureaucracy has, has more than one mouth. So that's where that expression, out the other side of your mouth, comes from. One side of the mouth will tell you this. Another side of the mouth will tell you that. And, and there's like this, because it comes with authority, you can never force the mouths to reconcile which is the actual message. You don't have the authority. They can basically, in a number of ways, just tell you to go away. And you can't get angry. You can't be um, insubordinate. You can't force any action because you are um, a subordinate. And that hierarchy of bureaucracies is also one of the problems. So, so you can't even really reconcile the message you're getting from the bureaucracy. And I, I don't know about you, but there to me is nothing more frustrating than someone to something talking out of both sides of its mouth never actually has to make sense and if you have a problem with it well you can fill out a help desk ticket make sure you put it in writing communication is another way bureaucracies fail anyone that's ever played the telephone game where you start with a message and it gets whispered down the picnic table in each person's ear successively until it gets to the last person who says it out loud it is almost never exactly what the original message was and in that case the message takes a back seat to the people the number of people that have to receive it hold it send it the more repetitions of that process a person receiving holding and sending the more error is bound to occur yet we have these bureaucracies that end up monolithic and we wonder why the message that's sent in is that's where garbage in, garbage out comes from. Except it's not garbage in. It's real thing in, garbage out. And, and therein is the birth of administration. Administration, to me, is one of the most nebulous terms I, I think I've ever heard. I don't even really know how, how to properly use it. Like, does an administrator administer? Or does an administrator administrate? That just could be one of those things where we extended a word to try and make it smarter. But I don't even really know what it means to administer. I guess to administer a shot, a doctor administers a shot in your arm by taking out a syringe 
putting in the medicine, and then administering the shot. You can administer a test. I'm going to do, essentially means give a test to a group of people. I'm the test administrator. I'm going to administrate the test. But I swear, the, the, the larger the bureaucracy, the more nebulous, meaning difficult to define, murky, what, it, what an administrator does. And I understand that they're necessary, almost like an account manager in sales. But anything with a profit motive like sales usually eliminates as much fat as it can so that it's as streamlined as it can be because you don't want to be paying for things that are ineffective use of man hours or woman hours because there's a bottom line. So, and everyone's earning money and that money can only go so far to so many people. So everyone tries to maximize the potential of that earning. So there's people that out, go out there and do sales calls. And then there are account supervisors who maybe there are 10 people in my stable of salesmen. And I'll administer or administrate or I don't know, keep track of whatever they do so that I can help them with my own experience. Because I was once a salesman. And therein is another problem, especially in education. There is no real requirement <clears throat> experience-wise, to become an administrator. And you can come from many different places. You can come, you can be a teacher and then become an administrator. You can be a guidance counselor and then become an administrator. You can be a psychologist. You can be a clerk of some kind. All you really need to do is go to school and regurgitate what they tell you. And then you can get your degree that says you're an administrator. And now you're put in charge of people that actually do something on the ground. If you were to put in a situation where you had to demonstrate it, I bet at least half the time the administrator would not be able to do the thing that they're telling other people how to do better or overseeing how they do it. That's not the case in businesses that are streamlined with a profit motive. The guy in charge of the salesman could probably go on the sales call and nail it bring the salesman with them and say, see, that's how you do it. I feel like that should be a prerequisite for anybody in a position of administration. They should always have to demonstrate proficiency at performing the job on the ground. Like if you're an administrator in a school, maybe they could alternate it so it doesn't take all of your time up, but just to keep you grounded and as a model to everyone else and to justify your authority over them, you should teach a class. Everyone can see, and the kids can't stay in the class, and everyone can see that you're not good at it. Well, then your credibility will be diminished as an administrator. That's probably the reason why many administrators don't have to teach anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. Some could. My brother, for example, is an administrator, and he could teach. He could teach today if he had to teach. Um, but that is the, in no way is that built into the structure where you have to be able to demonstrate your authenticity. And, and I, I swear, people just disappear into these bureaucratic jobs. And if, you know, if you don't have a help desk ticket around, you can't really even get in touch with them. So that's pretty much everything I had to say about that. Except there's one more thing. Two, two more things. One is I noticed, too, that bureaucracy self-perpetuates. The larger the group of people who don't really have to do anything accountable the larger the group tends to get, right? Why would, it, it's almost like term limits. Why would politicians vote to eliminate term limits when it would jeopardize their own permanency in that position and all the perks that go along with it? Well, sure, the founding fathers never intended for there to be career, career 
representatives and, and senators, politicians in general. But it happened anyway. And so to put in term limits, which they themselves have to put in, is very, very unlikely. And so once you're part of that bureaucracy, and maybe you weren't good at the original job, which that's why you got out of it, and you got yourself into administration, you want that administration to continue to grow because the bigger it gets, the more insulated you are from anything real. The more mouths there are, the harder it is to pin you down because you can just say you didn't get the help desk ticket. But, but there's probably another administrator in charge of making sure you get to your help desk tickets. But he may not be good at his job. And then he would, he would require a person to make sure that he makes sure that the other people handle their help desk tickets. And so on and so forth. So you're punching yourself in the face. Um, and then also there is this danger. Insider trading, I guess you could call it. So there's this giant monolithic organization that has extremely slow-moving gears and unresponsiveness and poor communication. But if you know somebody, right, maybe your husband's father is a really high bigwig and he can just cut through all the red tape for you and make sure that you end up getting whatever, the sick day you asked for, your device repaired, a raise, whatever it is. That can just be cut through by this certain number of connected, I guess you could say, elites. And that, I don't think there's anything that causes more disharmony amongst the group than a bunch of people that have to follow some mundane and annoying process and they can look over and see someone else who doesn't. You want to wonder why? Why is that? Oh, I don't have the authority to, to force that question to be answered. And one of the models will say something, that, one of the other models will say something different, and, and I might as well just pull the trigger. That's why I think big, big corporations, the bigger the corporation, like car companies or, or uh, chain restaurants or you know, beverage companies, um, they always in their commercials try to appeal to a much smaller unit, right? Like they care about the individual consumer. They want to be responsive. They're family oriented. That tiny building block of society. The only real, I believe, building block of society family so they try to we're a family business with six million employees or their community we're a community well that word could literally be used to describe anything up to and including the whole world but i understand their temptation to appeal to the smaller more functional units because they are not one of them and so I, I guess in all in all, what am I saying here is I'm extremely grateful to not be part of a bureaucracy, least of all a government bureaucracy. They never, ever get smaller. They only grow and they only become more efficient until they have to be broken up or at least enough people want them to be broken up. And then sometimes even that can happen. So they're too big to fail. So that is what I have to say about bureaucracy. Avoid it if you can. And if you're part of one, try to do what you can. This is my recommendation to kind of counteract it. I think you'll be happier and you'll make other people happier. And now that is what I have to say about that. And with that, I have come to the end of my road for today.
Thank you as always for listening. I hope to see you soon, hopefully tomorrow. Thank you.